You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of a movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode six of Fantasy Film Ball, where we turn movies into sports, and sports is just something that we don't talk about. Welcome in, everyone. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and we're so excited to have you guys here today. So we're going to start off, as always, with a question, uh, which is, what is your worst early uh, gold derby or just Oscar prediction that did not pan out? A film that you thought was going to be huge, which just turned into total shit. Uh, Dill, why don't you start? What's, what's your worst early prediction? So I'm sure I've had a lot of bad ones over the years um, because I used to very much go for, like, I wanted, like, the big odds. Like, you were talking about last week. I was, I was like that as well. And recently I've kind of swayed away from that. But there's some years where I take those big odds and I just don't want to give them up. And one of those was in 2019 with Queen and Slim. Uh, this was just a movie I personally really wanted to see succeed. So I think I let my bias get a little bit in the way, but I had it for picture, director, actor, actress, original screenplay. I was riding high for this movie. And I think I kept it all the way up until like December, like when the Globe nominations came out, like even after the movie came out and people like, this isn't really a player. I was like, it still has a shot. It can get something. Daniel Kluge is like riding high right now. Like he's going to get in. And, um, as we saw, zero nominations, not even for song, and uh, it really came and went, which was kind of sad because I really like the movie. But it's a great um, movie. I fully get why it wasn't really an Oscar player and divisive. But there's another one that was kind of major. Um, that year, I learned like, oh, this is the year I learned about not doing the 100 to one odds right away, just taking the for sure stuff early. Is because I never put Nomadland in a picture on opening day when it had like 45 to one odds. And um, I think when I eventually put it in, it was like by far and away the number one because it was after uh, um, like some of the fall festivals had already started and it had very, I mean, there were still better odds than if I would have added it in like February, but not great odds when I, like compared to what I could have gotten. Right, right. Okay, for me, I, I can't remember as specific as you. So I'm going to kind of go over some films that, I know people really expected big things out of, which just, like, that I remember Unbroken was number one on Gold Derby for the longest time. The Angelina Jolie war movie uh, about the Olympics, and that movie was at the very top of the Gold Derby polls for so long. Um, And then the movie came out, and it was just so bad. Um, but I, I guess looking back, I can see why that film would have been up there because it really has a package that you would expect would be something great when really the movie was kind of just torture porn the entire way through. Uh, at least that's what I thought about it is like, you're just watching a guy go through unimaginable torture over and over and over. Um, I found the movie exhausting and I can see why the Oscars left it out, but I can also see why people 
early on in 2014 were saying this is going to be a winner. This could win. This could go all the way. Otherwise, some other ones. Now, these are films that uh, I don't really remember taking on Gold Derby, but they were films that I took definitely in our fantasy film ball game very early on, uh, which The Goldfinch was one I didn't take. I'd heard some mixed things about, but it went in round three uh, in our 2019 game of fantasy film ball. And that was a film that I think people expected a lot out of that just totally flopped. Uh, and I also remember the same year in 2019, I was expecting huge, huge things out of Just Mercy, uh, which was a film that seemed like such a, a low contender, like it was just going to fly under the radar, and then it was going to hit TIFF, and it was going to be huge. And I saw it at TIFF, and I thought the same thing, that, you know, this is a movie that's going to be massive. Uh, I picked it super early in Film Ball, and it just didn't pan out. It totally flopped. Uh, it was a good movie, but it didn't get really any awards recognition beyond Jamie Foxx at the SAG Awards. Uh, and also Aeronauts is, uh, that was a, not Tom Hooper, but it's like Tom Hopper or something. Weirdly close to Tom Hooper. And that was one that I know I saw a lot of people expecting big things for. And I drafted on my team for film ball and it just did absolutely nothing. It was just not a not a great movie and just completely, completely tanked. Uh, so those are some of my worst predictions of things that I kind of expected big things from early on that just really did not work out in my favor. Yeah, going to film ball, I last year had a very huge, I guess, misstep, you could say. I picked Mass in round three while Coda was still on the board. Um, I thought, oh, these two movies probably have like the same trajectory. Which one do I think? Well, Coda kind of came in a way because we drafted right after Coda came out on Apple and like no one was talking about it. So I was like, all right, this has had its time, it's passed. So let me go all in on mass. Yeah, last year we had a player in the game say, as he took Coda, you're all going to regret not taking this. And we all just kind of laughed at him and then we regretted it. I think my my worst pick ever... I mean, I have a lot of bad picks that I used in the lower rounds because just for context, and we'll explain it a lot more later on in the show. Um, so you get 10 round picks uh, and usually the top ones you want to save for like the best stuff out there, the stuff that's going to definitely get into best picture. Uh, and the first year that we played was 2018. Um, that was when we kind of invented the game and I picked first man, first round. <laughs> That was so sad, man. And I think uh, Arno, who is also in our league, uh, he picked If Beale Street Could Talk first round, first round. And, you know, like, those two seemed like the biggest contenders of the year, and they just tanked. Uh, it was so sad, because, like, we both wasted early rounds getting them, uh, and then just it went nowhere. It went nowhere at all. Uh, but speaking of a film that I definitely think is going somewhere, we're going to get into the news today. We've got the first trailer for She Said, the Maria Schrader, Harvey Weinstein newspaper investigation movie. Uh, Dill, you saw the trailer. What did you think of it? So I thought the trailer was pretty solid. It didn't really like blow me away. But no trailer really blows me in the way on the first viewing I've noticed recently because like there's a lot of ones where like I see it once I'm like this is kind of okay but then I see it again I'm like this is great 
but um i'm really excited for it it's a very important topic i'm really excited to see carrie mulligan's follow-up from promising young woman and see zokasan and something and just to see how they really tackle this issue because could it be a bombshell could it be a spotlight who really knows at this point but it's one i'm really excited for and something that we'll talk about a little bit later on the show. Universal has two bigger contenders this year, so it'll be interesting to see which one they throw more, more force behind because they can easily get both in a picture, but they could probably make one of these all the way into a Best Picture winner. Totally, totally. I am very excited for this movie. You said spotlight or bombshell, and to me, it looks more like a spotlight than a bombshell. Uh, and also, the thing that cannot be denied here is we've got a movie that allows Hollywood to give themselves a pat on the back. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, this problem is not finished in Hollywood. This is not something that Hollywood really deserves to be able to say, great job, everyone, we did it. But that's what this movie's gonna do for them, even if the movie does say we need to hold more people accountable. In awards season, it's gonna be a really easy look for a lot of people to go, she said is so important. You know, this is a movie that really shows how far we've come and how far we still need to go. But look at how far we've come because we're the good ones in Hollywood. And so that's really my argument for why I think it's going to go very far. Was I super impressed by the trailer? Uh, not exactly. Do I think it's going to be a good film? Totally, I do. Uh, but the trailer definitely revealed maybe a little bit too much. Also something worth noting, I, for months, have had Carrie Mulligan and Lead and Zoe Kazan in supporting, and it looks to be the opposite of that. So now I've got Zoe Kazan in my leading category and Carrie Mulligan in my supporting. I have been with you in that, having Mulligan and Lead and Kazan in supporting, so I will have to update those as well. Um, but in other news, a former Best Actress winner, Julianne Moore, is going to be one of the lead, is the president for the international jury at the 2022 Venice International Film Festival. And... Venice has a lot of possibilities this year. Is there anyone else on this jury that really just like stands out to you that you're just excited to see recognize? Oh, I mean, the jury here, I think is really interesting. I mean, they have Audrey Duan, who, uh, who made Happening last year, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite films of 2022 because it just released uh, stateside this year, as well as I'm really, really excited to see what uh, Leila Hatami does. She is an actress who's worked with Asghar Farhadi, a lot, um, as well as uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, who is a, a Japanese United Kingdom author, uh, who's you know famous for Never Let Me Go, The Remains of the Day, uh, just a powerhouse of literature and film. Uh, and so those three, I think I'm really, really very excited to see what sort of picks they might have uh, in a jury. And Venice is really interesting because you never know if they're gonna go for something insanely artsy uh, that's really never gonna see the light of day, or if they're gonna go for Joker. You know, that was one of the weirdest choices that they've ever made. And last year, uh, they broke away from the trend because for a while they'd been, nom uh, not nominating, they'd been giving the Golden Lion to films that went on to get Best Picture. And people started thinking, oh, is the Golden Lion trying to be a TIFF People's Choice Award? Are they trying to be a kingmaker? Because they awarded Shape of Water, uh, then they gave it to Roma, Joker, Nomadland. So four years in a row, Best Picture nominees or winners. And then they give it to Happening. Uh, so we're gonna see, is Julianne Moore gonna give her 
golden lion to something that's going to be more of an awards contender? Or are we going to see it go to a cool international film? Also worth noting, I have a friend who uh, is, you know, knows Julianne Moore personally and refers to her as Julie. And I hate him for that because Julianne Moore is the coolest person ever. And I want to know Julianne Moore. Like, I just feel like she... Do you remember a few weeks ago we had the sandwich question of who you'd want to like stand alongside and make a sandwich with? Julianne yeah. Moore would be that. Julianne Moore, I think, would be like the coolest person to just spend time with and like do anything alongside. So uh, on a side note, I hate the dude that is friends with Julianne Moore that I know because that that sucks. Well. <laughs> They, to me, they seem really cool because that's a really cool person to have as a friend. But jumping <laughs> from one cool person to some more cool people, we got the tip premiere of Bros happening. And Billy Eichner is someone who's really cool to me. So I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, I am so, every single time someone posts a Billy on the Street video, I have to watch the entire thing and then binge all of Billy on the Street on YouTube. So I, I'm really excited for Bros. Um, this is a premiere that I'm definitely pumped to go to. Uh, and honestly, for me, I think I'm even more excited for Bros than I am for Glass Onion at TIFF. So wow. I will be there. I am so stoked. I just, I love a good dumb comedy. Nicholas Stoller's great. And the trailers have really hooked me on this film. So I'm super, uh, super excited. And something that maybe doesn't have me as excited is uh, the comments from the Russo brothers that have come out recently. Have you read all this stuff, Dill? I have not actually. When you, um, when you're mentioning this here, this is like, oh, I'm interested okay. to hear what they say. Cause they've said a lot of like interesting things in the past while they have some filmography to back up their comments. They have other stuff that's like, do you really feel like you can say what you're saying right now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a bit of a breakdown. Cause so Joe and Anthony Russo have been saying some <laughs> really dumb shit in the promo for The Gray Man. Uh, the first thing that they said was that Scorsese, I, I'm paraphrasing here, they said that Scorsese and Coppola are aging and they need to understand that people need to let go of the past of auteur cinema um, because the new generation doesn't want that anymore. Uh, and that they shouldn't criticize Marvel movies because 10-year-olds are excited for them. And that, you know, it's, that's a dumb comment. Dumb comment. But the other thing that they were saying is that people should let go of the old school. Oh, they called movie theaters elitist. That's what, that's the big one, is they were saying that uh, people need to move on from the idea that movie theaters are some sort of sacred place to experience a movie and that streaming is less elitist. So they were basically calling out people who like movie theaters as elitist and saying that movie theaters cost so much money and it's not accessible to people and everyone should do streaming instead because, you know, it's less elitist and people should be more open to it. And while I agree, people should be more open to streaming, uh, it's not the ideal way to watch a film. You know, there's a difference between streaming, well, between television and cinema, because cinema is meant to be bigger. It's meant to be elevated. And I know that the lines have blurred a little bit, but the thing is that cinema is innately 
designed for a group viewing experience, right? You go to a movie theater and you sit in a dark room with a bunch of strangers and you all experience something at the same time. And with television, you're watching on your couch at home. And now we can do that with movies too. But still, a lot of movies are designed with that idea of the theatrical experience in mind. And I don't know, I, I think that their comments about how movie theaters are elitist is really dumb, especially when, you know, if you subscribe to every single streaming service, you're going to be paying over $100 a month for Netflix, Hulu, Disney, uh, HBO, Criterion Channel, which I don't think that they'd be subscribing to. Uh, but if you are subscribing to all of those things, you're paying more than you would because the average person isn't going to go see more than one movie a month. So, you know, maybe for people like us who are at the movies all the time, streaming is going to cost the same. For the average person, if they just want to go and pop over and see the new release of the month, then, you know, that's not going to cost them anything near what streaming costs. So I just think that these are really awful comments. And uh, yeah, they were also saying that auteur cinema just needs to die. <laughs> and I disagree with that. And I think it's really funny to have two people who are making really bland movies. <sighs> I haven't seen The Grey Men yet, so I can't say it's bland, but all the reviews kind of suggest that. And Cherry was not good. Um, but anyways, I'll stop ranting about this. I want to hear what's, what's your take on this now hearing this information? Well, I, like you, I think it's very interesting coming from them because, yes, it, they did get their start on TV with doing stuff with Arrested Development and Community, two of my favorite TV shows of all time. Same here, but, two of the greatest. But their biggest successes come from the movie theater with the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies of Endgame, Infinity War, and they did uh, Winter Soldier, right? Yes, and okay. Civil War. And Civil War. So they did four of, quote, quote, the best Marvel movies so it's interesting to hear that they're saying the stuff that allow them to do their best work and most popular work is bad while their work that isn't as recognized like cherry and the gray man because they've both gotten less than positive reviews so far is what people need to be looking at like i get maybe like you're like oh come on netflix watch us here but it's not like they're netflix like long doers this is their first netflix project it's not like cherry was also netflix and um, Arrest Development or Community Work Netflix TV shows at the time when they were working on them. So it's really interesting to see how they're very much trying to sell this thing that they're kind of new into. And like, it would make sense if there was someone like maybe Noah Baumbach, who's done a lot of Netflix movies. But for someone who's doing their first Netflix movie and second streaming movie overall, this is just a very weird comment, especially, I guess the biggest thing that's just that, like the head wrap for me is that their four biggest movies are four of the biggest box office movies of all time. So then they're saying like, no, we don't, we don't want your money. Give it to the streamers. Mm -hmm. But I think part of the thing that I think is really insidious here is that what it seems like they might be saying is that big movies like the Marvel movies are the things that deserve that cinema slot. Mm -hmm. And that's what Scorsese was talking about. Scorsese wasn't saying Marvel movies are bad. He was not saying Marvel movies are bad. He was just saying that there needs to be a balance because right now the only thing that people want to see in cinemas is Marvel. And it was like a huge issue last year with Spider-Man No Way Home that Spider-Man No Way Home stayed in some people's theaters for three, four months while other movies were not allowed to come into those theaters because 
Spider-Man just stayed there that whole time. And honestly, I do see that as an issue too. I do see that Marvel is kind of killing theatrical audiences because it's making it so that if something's not the biggest spectacle, people don't go out to the theater. And that's, I think, what the Russos were talking about is, you know, they're not saying that their Avengers movies should have been straight to streaming. They're saying that most movies should be. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of a movie I'm very excited to see in the theater on December 9th, we have Empire of Light, Sam Mendes' follow-up to 1917, which hot take here, 1917 was my favorite movie of that year. Interesting. I, I've seen it a couple times. It's does not rank with my favorites of the year. I don't dislike it. I don't, like, I really like it. I think I gave it like a nine out of 10, but mm -hmm. it's not a 10 out of 10 when most of that lineup was a 10 out of 10. So I think if I had to rank the 2019 Best Picture nominees, that would have been like sixth place for me. Interesting. I, I can definitely see that. I'm someone who like, I went to college for doing uh, communications and video work. So just the spectacle of 1917 really drew me in. And I've watched it multiple times at home and I still feel like it, like it lives up to that because I've seen a lot of critiques of it. It's like, oh, this is just a movie theater movie. Kind of going back to the Russo's comments there. Like, oh, this is a movie that you need to see. Well, like, I don't know, something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was my second favorite, or Parasite, which was my third favorite, is something that you could watch at home, which I really don't agree with those comments. I think they're very much elevated by the theatrical experience. But that's a really weird year for me because those three are like 1A, 1B, 1C. And then you have Joker at four and then Marriage Story and then just everything else is like, these are all so good. Like my least favorite movie of that lineup was Little Women and I would still give that a very strong seven. Yeah, for me, Irishman was my weakest of the lineup. And I still, mm -hmm. you know, I still think that's a good movie. Yeah. But for me, it's the only movie I would not give a nine or a 10 out of 10 in that lineup. Crazy lineup. Anyway, Sam Mendes has a new movie, Empire of Light. The release date has been announced. And it's finally on Gold Derby, which is super exciting uh, because for a while it was missing. And I know I got in snatched some good odds for that. I know you did too, Dylan. And I just want to talk a little bit about Empire of Light before we move into our main topic of the day. But because I really think Empire of Light is undeniable at this mm -hmm. point. And it's not because of Sam Mendes, it's because of Searchlight. So... Dill, did you know that since the expanded lineup of Best Picture, Searchlight Pictures has only miss, missed the Best Picture lineup two times? I did not know that, but that's a very just interesting stat because I'm someone who's very much into stats and hearing mm -hmm. that makes me feel like, oh, maybe I should have a Searchlight picture in my top 10 because at the moment, I don't. Yeah, they're, they're a powerhouse. And I... I thought the same thing. I, I was like, I don't know what Searchlight movie I should put in. Uh, and I didn't know what Searchlight was going to go for. But yeah, so the only two years they haven't made it. 2009, they did not have anything. I think that their closest film to a Best Picture nomination was either Crazy Heart or 500 Days of Summer, which neither of those were close to a Best Picture nomination in 2009. And 2016. And in 2016, they had Jackie. And Jackie was definitely in the top 10 but it probably just did, barely didn't make the cut. Yeah. So every other year they've had either one or two contenders. Uh, the most insane year is 2017 when they had both The Shape of Water and Three Billboards, which were the two top contenders of that year. So Searchlight, you cannot count them out. They're always gonna get something in. And this year, there's been a lot of questions. What is going to be their main contender? 
And I think right now it's pretty clear to see it's got to be Empire of Light because what else do they have? They have uh, Poor Things, which got pushed. They had Next Goal Wins, which got pushed. They have Empire of Light. They have the menu. They have the Banshee of Inishirin. So right now it's three films that are like actual real contenders. And Banshee of Inishirin, that's Martin McDonough's next movie. I've heard some mixed things from test screenings, and I don't think Martin McDonough is someone who's going to keep making Oscar movies. I think it's gonna be a good, solid film, but it's not an Oscar movie. So I'm gonna say that's not Searchlight's contender. The menu was one I was like, hmm, I wonder if that could surprise and be a contender. And so I found the script and I read the script of it. It's not gonna be a contender. That said, watch out for Rafe Fiennes, uh, who is basically playing like a mix of, um, a mix of like Hannibal Lecter, not Hannibal Lecter, that says it's going in a different direction than the movie actually goes. It's a mix of Gordon Ramsay and like, I'm trying to think of like the most psychotic character in the history of like movies. Oh, Kathy Bates and Misery. That's what it would be. Kathy Bates and Misery meets Gordon Ramsay. So outside of Rafe Fiennes though, the menu is not Searchlight's contender. So that means Empire of Light has to be it. So. I'm saying go all in on Empire of Light. Do not count Searchlight pictures out. Searchlight is going to get in and it's gonna be Empire of Light. So since we were talking about those Gold Derby odds though, we're gonna go right into our segment of the week, uh, which is going to be, take it away, Dill. So it's gonna be going over the day one Gold Derby odds. I went ahead and screenshotted all the odds and all the categories that were available from right when they first went up. And if you got in in those first like four or five hours, you got some really good odds because just looking at the morning after, some of those odds shot way up and became a lot less enticing. For example, in Best Picture, I snagged, I'm trying to I'm trying to find a good one here. I snagged Killers of the Flower Moon for 28 to 1 and then the next morning it was at 25 or um The Fablemans which now if you look at it I got it for 25 and now it's all the way down to 7 to 1 odds looking at it one week later. And that's the cool thing about Gold Derby is those odds are always fluctuating. You can get something really good if you get in there just at the right time as we mentioned before we both got Empire to Light in multiple categories for 100 to 1 odds. While if you look at it now, it's in the top five or top 10 in most every category where it's eligible in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking at these odds right now too. Now, this is a segment we're gonna kind of criticize these odds as well and kind of go through them, see what we're thinking is a little bit too high, a little bit too low. Uh, I know that the Oscar expert does this every year. So uh, we're gonna kind of mess around and just see what we can uh, we can get out of these odds. So yeah, some of the things I'm seeing is very early on, uh, there were some very noticeable 100 to ones. I see that Top Gun Maverick stayed at 100 to one for a while. I know it's raised from there, um, but some things that I think are notably a little high, Till is very high up. And Till is a movie I definitely think has a big shot, but to be one of the you know top five, top 10 contenders seems like a little bit much especially when United Artists MGM is handling the movie and they have like three other movies this year that, you know, I'd say of those three other movies, one or two of them have a better chance of going to the Oscars than mm. Till does at this point. So I don't know. I think Till being up there is, is a little bit, I mean, it's definitely top 20, but is it top five, top 10? I don't think so. 
Well, it seems like the Gold Derby voters have come around to your angle because it dropped from being number five all the way down to number 15 looking at it this morning. So it's, it's gone up to that 97 to one odds instead of its original ones, which were pretty alarming here at 48 to one. And like you said, it was a top five movie. So it was really crazy to see off rip that till was something that people were really thinking that is going to be a big film. Why I still think it will be, especially in supporting actress and screenplay and maybe even lead actress. Those are all categories that are pretty contested this year. So it'll be interesting to see, does MGM really give till that hard push or do they go with something more akin to a move that's still sitting at 101 odds and a lot of categories being 13 lives. Mm, yeah. That's, I can see why it is. I, I can totally see why it is. It's because like, at this point, we still haven't heard a whole lot about 13 Lives and it's got an early release. You know, I, I think sometimes actually, Gold Derby goes a little too hard on giving really great odds to movies with early releases. Like last year, I remember being absolutely baffled that Coda was like top three in every category. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that ended up being right. But at that time, that seemed like a totally, you know, there was no reason for Coda to be that high at that time of the year. And so it's a little bit odd that 13 Lives is as low as it is. But honestly, I think it's a better direction for Gold Derby than just like, this has come out. So this must be like the top contender of the year uh, that usually happens at this time of year. So we have a few categories to go through. So we should probably go ahead and jump in this. Do you want to start off by looking at what they were day one and comparing it to where they are at now? Do you just want to look at where they're at now? Do you just want to look at where they started at? Because there's a lot of angles that we could dive in here with the Gold Derby odds week one. Absolutely. I mean, I think that let's, let's look at where they were at the beginning so that we can see what we got some odds at and then kind of talk about where they're at right now. Um, awesome. So actually, before we move on from picture, one thing that I think is still at 100 to 1 odds, if I'm, if I'm correct about that, that I'm a little bit, I think people are really underrating this one, is Don't Worry Darling. Don't Worry yes, Darling is still. is still at 100 to 1 odds. And that's one that I think people are massively underexpecting. I've seen some people say that it, they think it's going to be this year's last night in Soho. I completely disagree. I think to me, the trailer shows that there's some crazy stuff going on with the direction. Uh, I've read the scripts, at least an earlier draft of it. And I think that this has the potential to be much more of a promising young woman or a get out than it does last night in Soho. I would be all for that at the moment. Elvis is still in my 10, but like with the emergence of Empire of Light, I'm really looking for something to kick out of picture. Will it be Elvis? Will it be She Said? A hot take here will it be the Fablemans. I guess we'll have to find out in a later episode. But mm -hmm. looking at the day one hour, let's say like five or six of the Gold Derby odds, their top 10 was the Fablemans, Killers of the Flower Moon, Babylon, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Sun, Till, Bardo, Avatar, The Way of the Water, Women Talking, and She Said, which she said here was at 60 to 1 odds. So your mm. top 10 had either 60 to 1 or lower odds, with the Fablemans being at number one with 25 to 1 odds. Interesting, interesting. I know you still have Avatar at your number one. And this is also, again, Empire of Light was not here when the polls opened. I know I've put Empire of Light in my top 10. Have you put Empire of Light in your top 10? 
In my top 10 of my personal predictions, it's not there just yet. But on Gold Derby, I do have it because I was able to get to 100 to 1 odds. And I dropped off Elvis, which was another film that also was still sitting at 100 to 1. So I figured, let me take the one that more people are high on because I can always grab Elvis a little bit later. Which, speaking of those odds currently, we have number one is The Fablemans at 7 to 1. So it's had a massive drop down in those percentages. You could have got 25 to 1. Now it's all the way down to 7 to 1. Babylon's at two, Killers of the Flower Moon's at three, Everything Everywhere All at Once is at four of eight to one. Then The Sun is at five, Bardo is at six, She Said, which was previously number 10, is now at seven with 14 to one. Top Gun Maverick, which was at 101 on day one, is now at number eight with 18 to one. Women Talking's nine and Avatar The Way of the Water is at number 10 with 22 to one odds. And the aforementioned Empire of Light is just one side, one picture out at 25 to one. Mm. I like that they have confidence in everything everywhere all at once. That's my kind of people. Yes. And it's number it's it's technically number 3 cuz that and Killers of the Flower Moon are both 8 to 1 odds. They just have Killers above it in the ranking here. Okay. Yeah, makes sense to me, you know. I I uh I like those odds. I like it. I like that top 10. Now, personally, you're not going to like this, Dylan. I took Avatar out of my Gold Derby top 10 that I could put Empire of Light in. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I had to cut out Elvis, so I had to cut out something I'm very confident in as well. You just When you have those 100 to 1 odds for a movie like that, you have to take advantage, whether if it pans out or doesn't. Because like you mentioned earlier, Just Mercy was a movie I was also very high on because I saw that at the Virginia Film Festival. It even won the festival's award for best film. And it went on to just do nothing. And it's when I kept in picture and a supporting actor and in screenplay like all season i'm like it has to come around eventually like this is a movie that is just too people pleasing and it's a good movie too that like it has to catch on and then it just never did so i'm really hoping that's not the case for a film like empire of light or women talking or bardo some of these ones that i have really good odds for at the moment that may not pan out the end because last year speaking of film ball i drafted nightmare alley at number two was that a great pick at two? Probably not. But I had it at some great 50-some odds to one, and I kept it all season until like the week before, and I dropped it off. And what did it do? It ended up getting that 10th slot. Yeah, well, you, you can never know with some of these things. And, you know, you just got to gotta try and stick to your guns, I'd say, yeah. as much as possible, because you don't want to be switching stuff out and ending up getting shit odds on all of these things that you should have kept in all year long. So before we move out of picture, is there one odds that you have here that you're just really proud of? That's something that you're like, at the end of the year, it'd be like, I'm going to stand out above the rest because I have this at this odds. Oh, man. Well, okay. She said, just to talk about she said a little bit more, I have she said at number three in best picture right now. And right now I'm predicting that to be Belfast of this year. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a movie that's going to hit TIFF. It's going to either win the People's Choice Award or top, uh, place top three. And I think it's going to be a movie that's going to be seen as the early contender. It might win the Golden Globe. And I think that's the one for me that I grabbed at the best odds. I got 100 to 1 odds on She Said. And that's one that I'm going to hold on the entire season long because that is going to be one of the front runners at the Oscars. Ultimately, I think, I still think it's going to fall short and everything everywhere all at once is going to win. And ultimately, I think it's going to win because she said was the front runner for so long that people are going to get sick of it and they're going to vote for everything everywhere instead. 
Well, I also have 101 odds when she said, so I think this is really cool about this year at least is that we're going to have like the same odds for everything because we were able to get in day one hour, like one or two yeah. for these. And we were able to keep up with like empire of light. Cause like when I saw they went live, I was shot you a message like, Hey, snag these wherever you can, because these are odds that you're not going to want to pass up because empire light is one after everything you said about uh, the studio and just how the season's looking as a whole is when I'm really coming around to, I know in previous episodes, I'm like, I don't know. We had that whole episode about a director's follow-up doesn't always mean they're going to get in, but with all the other circumstances, plus a year of 10, there's no reason for Empire of Light to miss out and picture with Oscar favorite Olivia Coleman, who seems, if she does something, she's going to be nominated and in a pretty she weak category for screenplay. Yep. Well, I would say Empire of Light kind of goes away from that follow-up narrative mostly just because we know Searchlight has confidence in it. Mm -hmm. We know they're positioning it for that. So, you know, is it going to be that sort of Oscar follow-up flop? No, there are going to be other ones this year, but I don't think that's one of them. I think we can tell that this is one that the studio has confidence in. Okay, what's a film at 100 to 1 right now that you are kind of baffled by why it's at 100 to 1? Let's go see... So going into 101, 13 Lives is one. I think it should be in the 90s because, I mean, you have The Whale at 72 to 1, and I feel like 13 Lives is head and shoulders above The Whale, at least in picture. Um, Women King seems a little weird to be 100 to 1, but I guess that makes sense looking at what's not because they don't have many films outside of that top 11 because you have The Whale, Elvis, Rustin, and Till as the only other four besides the top 11 that are under 100 to 1 odds. And I mean, that's about it, I guess, this far out. I mean, I want to dance with somebody makes sense to be 101 odds. I feel like at the end of the year, yeah. that's definitely going to be like a 70 or 81 on nomination morning, where it's like one of those where it could get in, but it could not like a tick, tick, boom or something along those lines. Um, mm -hmm. And that's about it for now. Because um, there's a lot of movies down here that I feel like could have a shot, like long distance, like Glass Onion, or even Bones and All, if we're getting really crazy. But I don't think Bones and All is going to be a player like we mentioned last week. But it's one of those where I feel like it definitely has an angle, but it's a very, very small angle to get in. And I feel like everything, everywhere, all at once has already taken that place for that creative or just very out there type movie this year where there's not going to be room for two of them. Maybe yeah. there is, but don't worry, darling. But who, who really knows this far out? And that's, I, that's the fun of the game is trying to find those best odds early and try to hold on to them as long as you can. You know what I'm shocked has 100 to 1? Amsterdam. And that's not because I'm predicting Amsterdam, because I'm not. It is nowhere yeah. near. But I'm just shocked that uh, that people on Gold Derby are not predicting this right now. Because clearly, it seems like there's an overwhelming idea that Amsterdam's not getting in. And that makes me happy to see, because I don't want Amsterdam to end up being that contender. I'm just surprised it's not even at, like, you know, 70 to 1 odds or something with a David O. Russell movie with that cast. But, you know, again... Maybe that's the good thing. I think Gold Derby is going to be different than a lot of other places because Gold Derby is a community for like cinephiles and people really into the Oscars. So those are the type of people who know about David O. Russell's history. Well, if you get to a more populous website, they're the ones who are going to be predicting Amsterdam, probably like for picture, director, screenplay, maybe even acting for a lead or supporting just because they're not as in the know of David O. Russell because like, I was even surprised because I rewatched the trailer yesterday that his name is the first name that you see in the trailer. You would feel like you would want to leave that out. But the fact that his name is within the first 30 seconds of the trailer 
because like you could get away with just saying from the director of American Hustle, The Fighter, yeah. Silver Linings Playbook, but they said from David O. Russell. So that makes it seem to me at least that his history isn't as widely known as we may feel like it is just because we're in a community that's very much into films. So they're going to know about his stuff. And I just think it's very interesting. And I will be very, I'm just very intrigued by how that whole situation will play out all award season, because let alone the film community, Taylor Swift's in this movie. Her fans are crazy. They're going to be blowing that up all season once the movie actually comes out, because they'll probably be on board with that at first. And they'll be like, why isn't, why is it Amsterdam and all these predictions? And then they'll look and see, even it'll be interesting to see if they will criticize Taylor or they'll just be like, oh, look at this guy. Why are we awarding him sort of thing that's happened in the past for other people? Yeah. I mean, David O. Russell is definitely known enough. Have you seen Bojack Horseman? I have. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the David O. Russell joke in there? There's a point where, um, I think Bojack is holding a baby or something. Baby's crying and he's on the phone with Princess Carolyn and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were in a meeting with David O. Russell. I'll call back later. <laughs> I did not remember that, but I, but yes, that, that, that yeah. is good. <laughs> so that was, that was, uh, I mean, David O. Russell's wrongdoings are, are known enough. Uh, and obviously he has a lot more wrongdoings than just being an asshole and being yes. loud and yelling at people because uh, he has also admitted to sexually assaulting his own niece. That's the craziest part Horrifying. of me is like he even said like, yeah, I did it. And he's still getting work with a lot of notable people. And yeah, it's and not just, just notable just so people, weird. people who are activists. Margot yeah. Robbie, uh, you know, her Lucky Chap Productions has a mandate to take on films from women that talk about these issues, you know, Promising Young Woman. You know, how is the producer of Promising Young Woman on a David O. Russell movie? Or Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has had a very long and clear court battle about her being a victim of sexual assault. How is she working on a movie with David O. Russell? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I don't know. This is going to be a conversation for later. We've already talked about it a lot last week. But, uh, you know, I'm just glad to see that Amsterdam is at 120 right now. Well, let's hope it stays that way. Well, moving to the director, David O. Russell is also 101 over there. He was like that on the first time the nominations, not nominations, the odds were released, and he's still there. So it's seeming that the Gold Derby community is just avoiding this movie altogether, at least early in these categories. But looking at the original top five for best director, when the uh, odds came out, you had Martin Scorsese at number one. Uh, you had Steven Spielberg at two, Damien Chazelle at three, Sarah Polly at four, and the Daniels was top five at number five at 25 to one odds. And that would be a very great directing lineup to me. Do I think that would be the final one? No, because I have um, an interesting prediction super early out for director, which I know is not popular because if you look at the Gold Derby odds right now, oh, he's still number two, but Steven Spielberg is someone I have out of my five at the moment director and he's Same number here. two on gold derby at the moment scorsese is now eclipsed to number one at four to one odds spielberg's at two with nine to two chazelle's at three with nine to two the daniels are at four which this just shows more love for everything everywhere all at once at number four of six to one and then alejandro Noretu is at number five for bardo at 15 to two which i think is interesting that either polly or schrader is not in the top five but they're ones i feel like definitely will be in that conversation at the end of the year. 
there's no way that a, a woman does not make it into this category. Mm -hmm. There's no way. In fact, I would say it's a little bit of a long shot to say that, you know, even two couldn't make it. I, I yeah. think that there could be two women in this lineup or three even possibly. Uh, I would honestly say if I had to give my honest lineup, I would say I have Damien Chazelle, Daniels, then I have Sarah Polly, Maria Schrader, Olivia Wilde. That's not going to be a popular lineup right now but I think it's totally possible. On Gold Derby, I have James Cameron for those sweet, sweet 100 to one odds. Yep, yep. Um, but that said, is James Cameron gonna be Denis Villeneuve this year? He, he quite possibly could, because if you look at it now, he has 72 to one odds, so he's pretty far out. And I remember last year with the Gold Derby odds, uh, Denis Villeneuve was not one of the favorites early on. He, over the course of the year, kept going. Because I remember I had Dune at great odds in all the main categories for picture, director, and for screenplay. I think they had them, I think I had the two ladder at 101, and then I had picture at like 80 or something along those lines because Dune was a movie surprising to me that a lot of people weren't on board with on the initial Gold Derby releasing of odds last year, but it seems like they're kind of correcting that ship this year with Avatar because it's in the conversation in both of those categories so far. Mm -hmm. Now, looking through some of these odds here, what are some of the ones that you're seeing that are maybe a little too high so looking at it currently, uh, how they sit on July 17th around noon, I feel like I feel like Daniel's at four, at six to one is high for right now. I feel like they're definitely going to be in the conversation at the end of the day, but them over someone like uh, over, over Bardo or over both women talking and she said, and even over Sam Mendes for Empire of Light seems a little high for the moment, but there's someone I feel like definitely could get in at that five slot later in the year. Um, but if you're looking at the, the flip side of someone at 100 to one odds, that doesn't really make sense to me. The aforementioned Olivia Wilde for Don't Worry Darling, even if I don't think that's a, a picture movie, I definitely can see that being a director movie. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like what people were try trying to say when out of Miami back in 2020 for Regina King, where like, oh yeah, this is definitely going to be a directing nomination, maybe not so much a picture. Obviously, she didn't end up getting that nomination. But I feel like this is a, a different ship here because Warner Brothers has a, a little bit better track record for campaigning. Um, and then scrolling down the rest of this list, I feel like Gold Derby has done a really good job this year of getting all the real contenders under 100 to 1 odds because there's a lot of them for director compared to picture. But I guess some of the international filmmakers who would make a little bit more sense, whether it's for broker or decision to leave, I think that they do have, um, I just want to check before I say it, and not be wrong. Oh, well, they do have the decision to leave under 100 to one odds. So um, they're at least, I guess that's the early international besides Bardo um, prediction they have. But I guess Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness would make sense to be under 100 to one just because of the win earlier in the year. Yeah, I, I'm going to say right now, decision to leave at 75 to one is it's a little too high. And I know that what people are trying to do is they're trying to predict who is the Ryosuke Hamaguchi? Who is the Thomas Vinterberg? Yeah. It's not Park Chan-wook. <laughs> it would be Ruben Ostland. You know, Ruben Ostland is, because when you look at why that keeps happening, why people like Pavel Pavlikovsky uh, for Cold War make it into Director 5 or Thomas Vinterberg for another round, it's because there's a large European art house contingent of the Academy that keeps voting for their film. And usually that's a Cannes film. 
could be decision to leave. I don't think it will be because I think decision to leave is going to be maybe a little bit too off ball, a little off kilter, probably won't be the international submission of South Korea. So Triangle of Sadness is one that I think is going to really click with that community because Ruben Ostland is someone who has built up a lot of goodwill among the European art house crowd. This is his first movie in English. It's a comedy, uh, which is apparently very not subtle. It seems like it's uh, art house don't look up. Yeah. Not in storyline, but just in how people are receiving it. And when you look at it, that international block, you know, don't look up did insanely well at the BAFTAs. That international block, they loved Don't Look Up. So could a film that is tailored to their style, that's very similar to Don't Look Up in tone, could that make it as a directing nomination? Totally. I think Ruben Ostlund at 101 is a little bit low, if I'm being honest. Is the film a Best Picture contender at the at this moment? Uh, I'm not sure. But we should not be overlooking Ruben Ostlund for director. I definitely um, think... To that point, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to follow up your comment and saying, I think Triangle of Sadness has a very good trajectory to be another round this year where it gets the director, it gets the screenplay and it gets the international nominations. And I think it very well could have a chance of winning um, in screenplay, but that's something that we will have to see a little bit more down the line. Well, just FYI, Triangle of Sadness will not be eligible for international despite being a Swedish production. It You're is right. You're almost right. You're right entirely in English. Um, but I mean, I, I agree. I think it's totally, and I definitely have it in the screenplay. I think it totally could be another round this year in terms of trajectory, just minus international feature, mm-hmm. because obviously it is in English. That said, I am a little bit uh, confused with the comment earlier about Daniel's not being top five. Like, come on, my dude. If, if everything everywhere all at once could win best picture, then we have to say that the mad geniuses behind it are top five for directing. So I don't know. I mean, we can have this disagreement for now, but I'm going to change your mind eventually. I'm going to change your mind. Eventually, I'm sure I will sway once I have it in my like top five for picture because it's still sitting just outside of top five for picture for me. But I definitely see your your case and your argument. And I definitely think it's something that could happen. I just personally have a little bit different because I do have James Cameron in my five where um, I Fair enough. See- you know, and you're like normal five outside of gold derby eyes. James Cameron's probably not in that lineup. Number six, number six. Exactly. And Daniel's right a six now. for me in my directing. Yeah. And that's, that's fair. You know, we might, we're going to, we're going to go head to head on this all year long. Okay. You know, what's so weird before we move on to the next category, you know, it's a weird hundred to one on gold derby right now. Let's hear jo- it. Joseph Kaczynski, Joseph Kaczynski for Top mm-hmm. Gun Maverick at a hundred to one. That seems like he should be a little bit higher because if we've got this major blockbuster that's a best picture contender could you know be in that top 10, seems to undeniably be in the top 10 for picture on Gold Derby. How is he at 101 odds? I guess Gold Derby is just going to Gold Derby for the moment. They're just going to go with their more art house stuff for a director and leave out that bigger populist things because they may be thinking like, oh, our one populist director is James Cameron. We don't have room for two. I definitely can see Top Gun overperforming, especially at the Oscars and the Globes. Like I could definitely see him getting a Globe directing nomination. But how much are the Globes weighted nowadays? I guess that's something that these next few years will really show because last year the Globes didn't really seem to line up much for some of the like those type of categories for like their importance but it'll be it'll be interesting definitely in the future to see um how they impact the oscars 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think really, are, is there going to be room for two mega blockbuster populist movies with Top Gun Maverick and Avatar? I'm not so sure. So I would wonder if they're going to have to choose one or the other in terms of what gets the most support. So would it make sense for me for James Cameron to be in director and Top Gun to be in picture? And, you know, I'm not too sure. Mm -hmm. That said, I do not think Joseph Kaczynski has a chance of getting in for best director. I just think he deserves better odds than 100 to 1. Yeah. I fully back that statement. But if you're looking at some odds, best actress, if you look at it from the day they came out, had some very juicy odds because you could get Carrie Mulligan at 100 to 1, Florence Pugh at 100 to 1, Naomi Aki at 50 to 1, Michelle Yeoh was at 18, and Margot Robbie was at 20 to 1. And if you look at it right now, Margot Robbie's all the way down to 37 to 10 odds. Yeah, that's, that is uh, incredible. It really looks like Margot Robbie is like in that winning position. And she is, this is a great role. Um, what do you have Margot Robbie's odds at? Like, what did you get her? I got her at those nice 20 to one, hour yeah, number one odds. So I have her at some very, I have all of, I, I feel very confident in four of my five best actress contenders of Robbie, Yo, Aki, and Coleman which I have Coleman at 100 to 1, Aki at 48 to 1, Michelle Yeoh at 18 to 1, and Robbie at 20 to 1. So they're all very solid odds, especially compared to what they're at now. Now that fifth slot, that's a little bit open to me because Carrie Mulligan, like we've mentioned before, could be lead, could be supporting. If she's lead, I have her at great odds. Um, there's also Florence Pugh for Don't Worry Darling, who's still sitting at 100 to 1 odds, which is still just wild to me. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, but there's because there's some people in the top in the top under 101 odds that doesn't really make sense like Ana de Armas even that's a movie I'm really wanting to see do well for Blonde 50 to one seems a little low like 75 sure but 50 no Annette Benning 28 to one over Naomi Aki no Danielle Deadweiler for Till while that's a movie I think could do very well it's also a movie that could easily be a goose egg and get zero so 18 to one over some other people just is crazy. And then you have the, the trio of Kate Blanchett, Regina King, and Viola Davis that are number three, four, and five, currently on Gold Derby at 15 to two, nine to one, and 19 to two odds, respectively, that all seem a little bit too high because those movies have the possibility, but none of those movies seem like picture movies. They all seem like actors and something else, like maybe costumes or maybe makeup or maybe cinematography, but none of them seem like picture and actress contenders well some of those ones i listed below like empire of light like she said i want to dance with somebody all seem like they could be picture and actress contenders yeah well okay i'm gonna say right now i have no confidence in shirley mm -hmm. i that's a film that i don't have really on my radar at all um you know i think netflix has so many contenders this year and it seems so similar to Rustin in yeah. what it's going for. But Rustin just seems like a stronger contender. And I can't see Netflix managing to push both of those movies at the same time. Because uh, they're both civil rights dramas that take place around the same time. They're both about an activist. And uh, actually, let, let, me, let me check that before I commit to that. Surely 2022, directed by John Ridley. Okay, John Ridley is not making a movie that's going to get into Best Picture. 
John mm-hmm. Ridley is, I believe he won his, an Oscar for uh, 12 Years a Slave. But since then, what has he done? So as a director, he has made the Jimi Hendrix movie, uh, All Is By My Side. He also, I believe, wrote uh, Red Tails as well and Ben-Hur. Um, and to me, when I'm looking at you know a film about, obviously Rustin is about a civil rights activist uh, who was a gay civil rights activist. Um, and then I'm looking at a movie about uh, the first black congresswoman those movies seem like they have a lot of crossover in how Netflix would position them. Yeah. And I don't know, to me, if I'm looking at George C. Wolfe, who just made Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Coleman Domingo, just an insane cast. Uh, and then I'm looking at John Ridley. I'm, I'm putting all my chips on George C. Wolfe. So I don't know, Shirley being at nine to one, I think is a little outrageous. Viola Davis being at 19 to two in the top five is a little outrageous, especially when we've seen trailers of The Woman King and it does not look like a movie that's going to be an above the line contender. It's a little bit outrageous and not having, you know, I, I would say that some things outside the top five that deserve those spots more than Regina King and Viola Davis, Obviously, Olivia Coleman, who's number six right now, she deserves a spot up in there. Uh, Danielle Deadweiler, I know you were saying you might not be as confident in her. I would say that she definitely has a better shot than Regina King or Viola Davis at this point. Naomi Aki currently is at 37 to one odds. That's pretty low, honestly. I would say that she should be um, top five for sure. She's playing Whitney Houston in an Anthony McCartan biopic. There's no way she doesn't get in. I would be so shocked if she doesn't get in. So, you know, those are some that just seem outrageously like, you know, in a few months, I would say Regina King, Viola Davis, those odds are going to drop like crazy. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't think either of those movies are really contenders. That said, Kate Blanchett, I would say is still going to be top five at that point. Cause Tar is Todd Field who always gets actors in. Well, for Till, I think Till could be a goose egg, but I also feel like it could be a Harriet and get that actress in like one other like below the line nomination. I feel like Till's ceiling is not as high as Gold Derby was originally saying just because of how much MGM has on their plate. But I definitely feel like it's definitely something in the conversation all year, just does it actually end up getting stuff at the end of the day. But before we move on to best actor, one other odds I notice here is Zoe Kazan for, she said is at 101 odds and lead actress. So they had them both listed here. It's just take your pick of who you think is actually going to get the lead compared to the support. Also, I just want to give a PSA because I'm noticing right now, Frances McDormand is in best actress for uh, women talking. I will reiterate again. Frances McDormand is not the lead actress of Women Talking. She is a minor character. She was playing a major role. Um, She was producing the film and playing a major role. She gave her role away to Judith Ivey and took a smaller role. So Mm -hmm. she was only on set. It was a between a three to six month shoot for Women Talking. Um, And Frances McDormand was only on set for less than two weeks. She is not the lead actress of this film. If you are predicting Frances McDormand in actress, take her out right now. And then last, last thing before we move on to actor. I'm looking at the original Gold Derby odds from hour number two. 
Viola Davis was at 100 to 1 odds. So she's someone who's been growing, getting better day and day since they've been going on, not the other way around, which you would think after seeing the trailer. I feel this way about, so what I was saying about Oscar follow-ups, it's the same thing with actors, that when an actor has extreme success in the past at the Oscars, people automatically will predict them again. This has happened a lot with Olivia Coleman, but it's been right every single time. But with Viola Davis and Regina King, obviously they are powerhouses of acting. Regina King um, is incredible. You know, for me, I love If Beale Street Could Talk. I don't really agree with her win for that movie, especially because she beat the ladies from The Favorite. Yeah. Um, but Viola Davis, I think, never disappoints. Viola Davis is absolutely incredible. Potentially even deserved the Oscar for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, but can we put them in the top five just because they have had Oscar success in the past? I don't think so. And I don't think that those movies are going anywhere, which is why I don't think it's wise to predict them. Now going over to actor, the original top five was Hugh Jackman at 14 to one. Austin Butler was two. Leonardo DiCaprio was three for Killers of the Flower Moon. Coleman Domingo was four for Rustin and Brendan Fraser was five for the whale at 46 to one odds. Now they've changed a little bit since then, because if you look at it now, Hugh Jackman is number one at four to one tied with Coleman Domingo for Rustin at four to one. Then you have DiCaprio at five or at three with Austin Butler at four, both having the same five to one odds. So gold Derby is very confident in these top four because they had them all at very low, similar odds at either four to one or five to one. And then that's where stuff opens up a little bit more because they got Brendan Fraser at five for The Whale at 19 to two, Christian Bale for the Pale Blue Eye, a Netflix movie at 14 to one, which is one that to me seems like it's an actor and nothing player, but it's Christian Bale. And I guess you can never really count him out, but to along the same lines that you were just saying for Viola Davis, I feel like that's the same thing here, at least on Gold Derby this early on. And yeah. then you have some more of those more inspired picks with uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho for Bardo at 30 to one. And then you have some that are definitely not going to be here, like Brad Pitt and Babylon, because he's supporting at 62 to 1. Adam Driver for White Noise at 82 to 1, because White Noise is not going to be a player. And then Song King Ho for Broker at 85 to 1. And everyone else you can think of is 100 to 1 or higher. Yeah. So the, the top five really hasn't shifted much. The Pale Blue Eye, Christian Bale, I don't have really any confidence in this movie. It's Scott Cooper, who mm. obviously has gotten an acting win in the past for Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart. But since then, just really nothing, nothing, nothing. So I don't know why people are predicting the pale blue eye so high up. Uh, but for me, I think if I'm looking at some odds that I think seem really low at the moment, it would be Bill Nye in Living at 100 to 1. Mm -hmm. That is a performance that is really, really outstanding and should be higher up. Uh, some other things that are a little bit confusing here that I'm noticing right now, Colin Firth in Empire of Light, he's not the lead of that movie. Um, that is Michael Ward is the, the lead of the movie, alongside Olivia Coleman. Those two are the two. Michael Ward plays a young boy who gets a job in a cinema, and Olivia Coleman is the cinema manager. And Colin Firth comes in a little bit and does some very questionable things. Um, otherwise... We're seeing Brad Pitt in here. Is Brad Pitt lead or supporting? I still don't know. You know, he could be frauded into lead or frauded into supporting. He has a very big role in the film. We'll have to see. Um, Song Kang Ho for Broker is at 85 to one right now. 
which I think is a little interesting. I would not say that he has much of a shot for that film. It's a very understated performance, and it's not one that I think is really going to go the distance. And the last thing I want to say, I think he's in supporting right now, but I would see him being campaigned as a lead actor. Rafe Fiennes in the menu. Mm -hmm. uh, having read the script, I think that he, it would be massive category fraud if he's put in supporting and not lead. So Rafe Fiennes, watch out for him. He might completely storm the place and, and end up in that top five for actor. And the last thing I want to say before we move on to our next category is Kelvin Harrison Jr. for Chevaliers at 101 Odds. I don't really know nothing about this movie, but I've heard a lot of good things about his performance and about just this movie as a whole. Could it be one of those where it's all talk and nothing happens? Sure. But as someone who's a huge fan of his, I would love to see him get maybe not even an Oscar nomination, but just some more critic love below the lines throughout the year. But uh, moving to the supporting actress, this is one where if you got in early, you got some amazing odds because oh yeah, just looking at the top five, but it's not even just like my top five, but like the quote quote if you look on the internet's top five, Michelle Williams was at twenty five to one, Lily Gladstone, who a lot of people have winning for Killers of the Flower Moon, was at one hundred to one, and then I went with some more personal picks with Whoopi Goldberg for Till, one hundred to one. She's also a producer for this movie, so I feel like if nothing else. Till is going to show up here and have a chance in actress. And then I went for some more inspired picks for my personal line with Laura Dern with The Sun, 100 to 1, and Sadie Sink for The Whale at 100 to 1, just because Sadie Sink has a lot of buzz going right now. And I feel that could carry over to award season. But those are two, those last two are ones I'm not very much predicting myself to get nominated, but I'm not going to pass up on those odds. But if you look at Gold Derby themselves, they had Vanessa Kirby for The Sun at number two with about 14 to 1. They had Laura Dern in fourth uh, at that time. And then they had Audrey McDonald for Rustin at number five. And then they had a few of the women talking uh, cast. They had Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once and some other people filling out their top 10. But I think supporting actress is a category this year that's a very tight knit category where there's going to be like seven or eight people battling for those five spots instead of some years where it's like 15 battling for five spots. Yeah. But there's some weird odds in this category right now. Like Vanessa Kirby being number three feels really weird because that role in The Sun is not as big or meaty as Laura Dern's role. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously, I mean, I can understand. Can I understand? I mean, they both have had recent Oscar buzz and recent Oscar love with Vanessa Kirby pieces of woman, but Laura Dern just had marriage story. So I don't, I can't even understand the entire, like, oh. My know, guess um, would be is because Kirby was a lead actress nominee, and this is her follow up to that, where Dern just right. won for supporting. So it's like, are they going to nominate her again in supporting? But one thing I think you'll be very happy to hear is if you look at the odds right now, Stephanie Sue is number four for everything, everywhere, all at once at seven to one odds. That's wild to me. I don't think she's getting in. I think, honestly, Jamie Lee Curtis has a better shot for, uh, for supporting actress. Mm -hmm. Not because Jamie Lee Curtis is better than Stephanie Sue. Stephanie Sue is amazing in that movie. But the buzz around Stephanie Sue is going to be happening with people our age. Yeah. Right? Because we're the ones that we can see ourselves in that character. We're the ones that we can understand that character. But when you look at who's going to be voting for the awards, who are they going to connect with in the movie? It's going to be Michelle Yeoh. It's going to be Kei uh, Hui uh, Kwan. And it's going to be Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't have Jamie Lee Curtis in my top five. But if one of them makes it in, I would assume it's Jamie Lee Curtis. 
that said, you know, I, uh, I think someone who has some really good odds still, uh, who's really worth getting, uh, she's at 100 to 1 right now, Jean Smart in Babylon. Mm-hmm. That's someone who right now, I, had, I got her at 46 to 1. I'm swapping her out for those 100 to 1 odds right now as we speak. The reason for that is Gene uh, Smart obviously has been picking up a ton of Emmy buzz and a ton of Emmy awards lately, but this is a chance in a movie for her to really show her stuff. And she's playing um, a critic who is modeled off, off of Hedda Hopper. And Hedda Hopper was uh, um, not a critic, sorry, she's not playing a critic. She's playing a gossip columnist because that's what Hedda Hopper was. Hedda Hopper was a kingmaker in Hollywood. She could write an article and make someone a star or write an article and drain someone to the ground. Um, And her character in this movie really uh, plays along with that whole kingmaker thing. And the entire time people are trying to impress her. People are trying to not get on her bad side because they know what happens if not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Test screenings have said she's amazing. So I have her in there for sure. I also have some good odds for Jesse Buckley and Sadie Sink. Now, Sadie Sink just got snubbed from the Emmys. So is she going to carry through for The Whale? I'm not sure. I know a lot of people have Hong Chow in for The Whale, but she's not a big part of the movie. I mean, she's a solid part of the movie, but if you're looking for a supporting actress in The Whale, it's Sadie Sink. Um, and Jesse Buckley, I have for women talking at 100 to 1. Now, do I think Judith Ivey has a better shot just based on the fact that Frances McDormand literally gave up her part and was like, I'm going to give this to my friend because this, you know, this part was designed for Frances McDormand um, and she gave it up. I would say Judith Ivey probably has a better shot, but Jesse Buckley has better odds right now. So, you know, I'm going with that. Well, if you're speaking of odds, supporting actor, they're not really the place to find them right now because there's a lot of people who... People think of the, the, the consistent top four and their odds are all pretty much about where they're going to sit for the rest of the year, at least if you're looking at it right now. But if you go back to the morning or the night when they first came out, you could grab some of these people like Robert De Niro for 25 to 1, Paul Dano for 22 mm-hmm. to 1, Jesse Plemons for 28 to 1, Kehi Kwan for 25 to 1, who right now is my super early prediction to win just because of that narrative. Well, personally, maybe like De Niro has a better narrative or Paul Dano or even Jesse Plemons. I just think that everything everywhere is going to walk with at least one in those major categories. And I think this is probably its best shot. But I feel like all the other ones are very much still there because like Michelle Yeoh has a great case for actress, but so does Margot Robbie. It has a great case for picture, but so does a lot of movies at the moment. And same thing for director. While I think this is a category where it has the best narrative, but um, if you really want to see how the mighty have fallen on the night they came out, Elvis, Tom Hanks was at number five, and now he is all <laughs> the way down to 52 to one odds, which still is insanely too high. You might think I'm the villain of this story. <laughs> he's, he's something in that movie. He sure is something. Uh, he's, he sure is Jared Leto. Yeah, I mean, I... I think it's a little wild that Jesse Plemons is number two here for supporting actor. People love him. I know people love him. His role is not very interesting in this movie. Robert De Niro has a much more interesting role. And so, you know, Robert De Niro should be higher up than Jesse mm-hmm. Plemons for sure. People Could may both just of be scared. Yeah. 
That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, and Jesse Plemons got nominated last year. So it's one of those follow-up things. He got nominated last year. He's definitely going to get nominated this year. Um, some ones that I think are really low right now. Actually, what, what, what are you seeing that you think is really low? Well, I think I'm someone who's kind of riding high on 13 lives right now. So I have Joel Edgerton at my five spot just because of the character that he's playing's role in the documentary. Um, the rescue, but I feel like any of them really have a shot to get in here. They all easily could. It's just who you want to grab because I'm confident in my top four of Quan, mm. De Niro, Dano, and Plemons. Maybe less so in Plemons, but um, last year I was proven wrong. He could do a performance that really isn't all that showy, and he still gets in. Uh, just yeah. how the movie's loved. So I have That's him in That's what here Killers of the Flower Moon would be, too. It's, it's a total him and Power of the Dog performance. It's going to be very low-key. There's not much going on with that role, um, mm-hmm. but he could still get in. I'm not going to say he can't get in. You know, I think I'd have him number six or seven. But that said, we can't deny that there's a link between supporting actor as a category and double nominations. That is true. So, um, I think every year since 2015, maybe, uh, there's been a category an acting category that has had two nominations from the same movie. So would that be Killers of the Flower Moon this year? Maybe, you know, I, I, it's probably the best shot right now, but there could be. Yeah, I mean, the only other ones that really stand out would be The Sun for supporting actress where Kirby and Dern both get in or, or everything ever women talking or everything ever at once. So there's three possibilities in supporting actress, but only one in supporting actor. Uh, but like I said, I have Edgerton at my five slot. I'm not very confident in that. That's more of a placeholder just because even though I want to put Glenn Turman in for Rustin, I need to see something before I can do that. Michael Ward, arguably his lead for Empire of Light. Same thing with Ray Fiennes in the menu. And then just everyone else here just doesn't scream out like, oh, this is someone to put in. Like Toby Maguire in Babylon, I'll pass. Seth Rogen in The no. Fablements, I'll pass. Tom Hanks in Elvis, hard pass. And then just everyone else is like, I could see it. Like Ashton Sanders and I Want to Dance with Somebody, if that movie really catches one, I could definitely see that performance uh, getting in. And there's other people here, just no one's really standing out. So I'm like, let me just go with the long shot of Joel Edgerton, even though I could probably get those 101 odds even after the movie comes out. But uh, I just have it in here for a placeholder at the moment. Right. You know who I think people are sleeping on? Chris Pine. Chris Pine and Don't Worry Darling. Mm-hmm. That's, I think people are sleeping on that one. It's, or you're just very high on that movie overall. So I, I grab those odds while you can. And then when everyone else follows you into loving that movie and predicting it, you have, Maybe have them wrong. wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. Uh, but I don't know. I think they're all going to stay at 101 for a bit. So maybe I'll come back to that a little bit later when it ends up at TIFF or Venice or whatever. Well, surprising enough, to, oh, I was going to say surprising enough, the one category would think, don't worry, darling, would be doing well, original screenplay. It's still at 101 odds, not even in the top 10. So I'm pretty lame in this category because the five I have predicted are the top five. Did I get them while they were projected top five? Not entirely because I have Empire Light at 101, Bardo at 78 to 1. But I do have the top five currently on Gold Derby, which is Fableman's, Everything Ever All at Once, Babylon, Bardo, and Empire of Light. But as we've mentioned, Empire Light was not there day one. So the movie that mm. replaced that in the top five was Triangle of Sadness, which was in my five, but I couldn't pass up on the 101 for Empire of Light, even though it's Triangle of Sadness I had at 35 to one odds. I have a little bit of a hot take on this category. I do not have the Fablemans in my top mm-hmm. five. I, I don't think that. it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a screenplay movie. 
You know, I think people might obviously go and be like, yeah, Spielberg deserves this. Spielberg, Spielberg, Spielberg. I don't know about the writing of it. I've also heard people who have read the script saying it's not a very strong script. Like it's mm -hmm. decent, but it's not one that's going to blow anyone's minds. So do I have that in my top five? No. Well, the only reason I'm still holding on to it is because of Belfast. Belfast was not a strong script. It was essentially kind of the same little story. And that had a person who you could reward in director, but we'll just give him screenplay because it's easy enough and it's right there. Plus Tony Kushner is overdue as well. So you have an overdue yeah. narrative for both of them and they both just did not get nominated last year. So he's like, oh, let's redeem them by giving them the win here. But what I think is more interesting than Fableman's being at one is that Nope is in the top seven. That Triangle of Sadness is number six, which I think is very, very cool. That's that place early. Cha-Cha Real Smooth at 72 to one odds, which even though I love the movie, has no shot. And Don't Worry Darling is at 100 to one. And even if you don't like want to see Amsterdam do well, I would still think that should be under 100 to one odds in screenplay. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, what's also a really interesting thing is having two movies, which are basically the same, competing against each other in this category, Empire of Light and Fablemans. Mm -hmm. Because, so Empire of Light has had more plot details leak this week. And as I said earlier, it's a story set in a cinema. Uh, it's about a young boy, Michael Ward, who works for uh, the local cinema and Olivia Wilde, not Olivia Wilde, oh my God, Olivia <laughs> Coleman is the manager of the cinema. Um, and it's a love story set at the cinema, and it's about a young boy growing up and loving these movies. Yeah. And The Fablemans is about Steven Spielberg growing up and falling in love with the movies while his family kind of falls apart in Arizona. So, like, those two movies seem like the same thing. And is that going to impact them in screenplay? Is it going to impact them in picture? I don't think so. But in screenplay, maybe. Well, speaking of two movies that are kind of the same, we hop over to Adapted Screenplay, which at the moment, if you look at the Gold Derby odds, is kind of a mess. There's only seven movies under 101 odds, but you have women talking, and she said, the title's just variations of themselves. Um, but they had on day one, Killers at one, The Sun at two, Women Talking, and she said at three and four, and they had The Whale at number five. But if you look at it now, number five would be White Noise, while The Whale is down to Ooh. six. But White Noise, as we've mentioned before, should probably not be here at the end of the day, but Gold Derby in this category doesn't really know what it wants to do because there's only seven movies under 101 odds with the other one being Till. And then everything else that you could think of is 101 or not listed. Yeah. Well, you know what wasn't listed until right now is Glass Onion. And I am adding that as we speak and 13 I know, lines I is moving off of my it. list. Yeah, because I had the greatest beer run ever in uh, as my number five. And I'm like, nope, Glass Onion. Okay, my hot take for this category. I said last time I don't have Fablemans in. I don't have Killers of the Flower Moon in for screenplay. Interesting. I've read the script. It's not good. I know it's you've just said not that. Good. You've said that here, and every time I'm just like, but I want it to be good, so I'm just gonna deny. I know the the movie's gonna be good. That's the thing. I'm predicting it to be a good movie, but as a script, didn't work for me. Is it top five? Yes. Top, mm -hmm. It's totally top five. I don't have it in because my long shot right now is that even though it's currently definitely top five, undeniably, uh, I think that when it comes out, people are going to, it's going to be like a Mank situation. I think it's Mank. 
Yeah. That's what I, I think it's going to get technical nominations across the board. It's going to get into picture uh, and it's going to miss a few key places and screenplay I think is one of them because the script is boring as fuck, dude. Um, and I, I wish it wasn't. I wish that I was, you know, uh, bullshitting right now, but it's, it's um, really dull. Yeah. Like really, it, it took me like three months to read the script because I would get like 20 pages in and my mind would drift because I'm just like, oh my God, nothing is happening in this story. Well, speaking of dull and boring, that's what I think of the poster for I Want to Dance with Somebody. But that's one that Awful. I would feel like would be pretty good odds considering all things. And that the fact that they don't have many movies under 100 to 1 odds. So I feel like this would be one that should be, but it's not. And that's one I would take if Glass Onion wasn't here. But I will take Knives Out too, Glass Onion, because this category looks weak at the moment. I mean, obviously stuff will show up over the course of the year, but this far out, it's kind of hard not to either have Glass Onion or 13 Lives as your fifth slot because White Noise, you don't really want to touch till you could probably get better odds later. Same thing with The Whale. And then you have all these movies at 101. So take your pick of which one you want. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, something that I feel here is this category is a little bit weak in that are we really going to be nominating three movies that are just plays? And we saw this in 2020, actually. This is actually reminding me of 2020, because in 2020, there was a conversation the whole year long. Are we really going to nominate Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, and The Father all in the same category? And then they didn't. They nominated One Night in Miami, and they nominated um, The Father, and The Father won. But they didn't, they left out one, uh, sorry, they left out Ma Rainey's Black Bottom yeah. in the end. And what I see here is a very similar thing. Women talking, not based on a play, but it's basically a play. Um, then there's The Sun, which is based on a play, and The Whale, which is based on a play. So are all three of those movies going to make it in? I don't think so. I currently have The Whale outside, but... I could easily see it replacing one of the other two if they don't live up to the height. But I have women talking in my top five for picture and the sun is like my either first or second movie outside. So the will by default would be the one to drop out of mine. And I don't know, Knives Out did very well in the categories it could. And I feel like if Rustin or Bardo isn't as good as Netflix hopes, Glass Onion could become a even larger player this time around. Absolutely. And that brings us to, well, that's all the odds that have been released at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so overall, how are you feeling? Are, are you thinking that Gold Derby is doing a good job this year? Or, you know, what are, what's your overall take on these? I, I like the odds so far. There's some stuff I wish uh, would be a little bit different or wish maybe like, like every year they knew where people actually were. Because like I remember the 2020 season, Chad Bozeman was in the wrong category for almost the whole season until he wasn't. Same thing with Sasha Baron Cohen. So just knowing, like the She Said actresses or some of the other categories, like where are these actors and actresses actually supposed to be so I can get them at the right odds? Because I really wish, like, let's say Carrie Mulligan becomes supporting. You could just transfer her odds that you had for lead to supporting instead of having to be like, oh, I have to get in here in the first hour or I'm not going to get these odds sort of thing. Yeah. Same thing with Brad Pitt. Um, but Along, other than that, I really like everything here. I'm glad they put it out early because normally they wait until like mid to late August. So I like how they're out in mid-July. Gives you time to really get the season going early because it's more fun for us. It's more fun for everyone out there. It's fun for everyone. And even like if you're listening here and you've never played Gold Derby, it's free. Hop on there. Make an account. You could 
you could come top 10 this year if you get some of these odds early enough. It's true. It's true. I've never gotten very uh, far in that because I always have shit odds. So hopefully this year things will be a little bit different. This is this is the year. This is the year. I'm I'm predicting everything ever all at once all the way out right now. So this is it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah, I I mean, something that frustrates me with Gold Derby is seeing how unresponsive they are to movies that aren't coming out, right? Like, Poor Things is going to be on here all year long. Next Goal Wins is going to be on here all year long, even though they've been confirmed not to be releasing this year. They're not going to take them off. Um, And like you said, they only will switch category placement for actors if the studio requests a change. So, like... We're just going to sit here waiting for proper category placement for some of these actors that we know are in the wrong category. Like Frances McDormand, an actress. That's one where literally if they had a user submission thing, I could give them concrete evidence of Frances McDormand not being the main character of that movie. But, you know, it is what it is. And it's a fun site to play on. And, you know, I assume everyone who's listening to this uh, definitely probably is in the same boat as us. Definitely. But speaking of fun, next week's big movie is Nope, Jordan Peele's follow-up to us and Get Out. And Jordan Peele's one of my favorites. And this movie looks to be a lot of fun. The first trailer was arguably my favorite trailer I've maybe ever seen. Like, it just hit every mark of I want from a trailer. Doesn't tell you what the movie's about at all, but gives you a feel for the tone. And then trailer two just flipped that on its head. And now I feel like there's two different movies here. Which one will I get? I really like both of these trailers the feelings they give me so I'm, I'm just down for whatever Jordan Peele has this time around because he's never missed with me whether it's on TV whether it's from a movie or whatever he's he's all he always delivers mm-hmm. yeah I'm super excited for Nope as well especially because for me Us was better than Get Out I think so at least that's that's my take I think Us was uh, a revitalization of the zombie genre uh, with no zombies but that's that is the best zombie apocalypse movie that I've seen in ages. And Get Out is obviously much more inventive, much more creative, but I just prefer us. And so, you know, the trajectory for me, I think Jordan Peele is getting better and better every time. And so am I excited for Nope? Yes. <laughs> Answer is not Nope. Yeah. Am I not not excited for it? Yeah. Double negative. We yeah. will talk more about that us versus Get Out because I like to bring another film to the table, Keanu, to that discussion of Jordan Peele's best. I love best. Keanu. So Great. Um, we will talk more about Jordan Peele movies next week on the show. But, I mean, we're six episodes in. We're going to keep chugging along all the way to the Oscar season. Definitely let us know your thoughts about what movies we may not be as high on because next week we'll get back into some more of our personal predictions instead of the Gold Derby odds. But until then, my name's Dill. And my name's Matt. Okay, three, two, one. And this, this is Fantasy Film Ball. Wow, we messed up again. Over six. There we go. Thank you for tuning to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at @filmball. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show and come back next week.